You're listening to the Social Spectrum Podcast with Gina Galliotto. Here we prove that success on social media and in entrepreneurship is not one size fits all and discuss thriving online through the lens of different personality types, lifestyles, and neurodiversity. Success lives on a spectrum, so your impossible search for the one right way to grow your online business ends here. On the Social Spectrum Podcast, we'll unfold your right way instead. Let's dive in. I recently celebrated my 29th birthday on August 11th, and I'm going into my last year of my 20s, so I wanted to do something special, something I hadn't done before, and I ended up deciding on hosting a free live Q&A Zoom webinar. So I had my social media community pre-submit questions to sign up for this live, and I was going to answer all of their questions answer extra questions in the chat, and then send the recorded replay to everyone who signed up. And it went so well and such juicy questions were submitted. I was on a total high when I got off the call, but then one day passed and two days passed and three days passed and I kept checking my email. I kept checking my Google Drive and no recording from the meeting ended up getting saved. I still don't know if it was human error or a tech glitch or whatever, but all I do know is that the meeting is not recorded. It is nowhere to be found. So today I decided, you know what, if I'm going to re-record my answers to these incredible questions, I may as well share them with as many people as possible and just spread the knowledge, spread the wealth. So all of that being said, welcome to my very first Q&A episode of The Social Spectrum. We have questions about mindset, social media growth, UGC, digital products, and beyond that were submitted. So there is a little bit of something for everyone at every stage in their journey. And that being said, I will stop blabbing and we will just dive right into the first question. Okay, so question, what piece of advice would you give a creator just starting? So for this answer, I really wanted to give you kind of a dual-sided answer. I want to give you mindset tips and I want to give you tangible strategy because I truly feel like you just can't have success in one without the other, in my personal opinion. So what I would tell a creator who's just starting out as far as mindset, and you've probably heard this from me before, so I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record. What I would tell them is to keep going, but keep going because you love it. Keep going when views are bad and when you're not making money because you love it. I already know you've heard me say this, like I said, but I need to get this like tattooed on my body because that's how much I believe it. Successful people keep going. To me, that is the secret to success. If people ask me to sum it up in one sentence, that's what I would say. So that is the mindset that you need to wrap your mind around. How are you going to keep going? What's going to make you keep going? You need to pinpoint that. And the next thing I would tell them as far as strategy, and this will be very tangible for you because I know the mindset part is not as tangible. What I would tell a creator starting out is to understand these two things extremely clearly. What problem is your content solving? Number one. And number two, who is your content solving that problem for? And in my opinion, both of these things matter a lot because at the end of the day, I can talk about entrepreneurship all day long and it's still not going to relate to the finance bro on TikTok who is also an entrepreneur because even though we're both talking about entrepreneurship, that's just not who I'm talking to. So 
the key again here is what problem is your content solving and who is it solving that problem for? And it doesn't have to be super deep. It doesn't have to be an educational page like mine is in order to be solving a problem. Okay. Think about your favorite lifestyle creator, that one that you watch, even though they are just sharing about their life, they are still solving a problem for you, whether it's entertaining you, making you feel seen, making you laugh. And so if you want to be that person for someone, you just need to figure out, okay, what is my goal? Am I going to be a source of inspiration? Am I going to be a source of comedy? Am I going to be educational? You know, you need to figure those things out. That's what I would say to start with and then take messy action. It's not to say you should have these things figured out perfectly before you get started, but it would be extremely beneficial to start off knowing those things. So those are the two pieces of advice that I would give to someone just starting out. Next question, how do you stay motivated when you may feel burnt out? So I get this question all the time. This is probably one of my most asked questions, which is understandable. And my answer is always the same. I don't always stay motivated. I really want to give that as a huge disclaimer at the beginning. I don't always stay motivated. I have accepted that dips in my motivation are something that will happen consistently in my business for me. And I think that is really key. A lot of people try to avoid burnout altogether. Like they're running away and it's chasing them and they're trying to stay out of grasp from it. But at least for me, I found that to be absolutely impossible. It is exhausting and avoiding burnout is almost like one more thing on your to-do list. So something that I found that I can do and is possible for me and that I tell my clients and my students to do is to prepare for burnout as best as you can. So what I mean by that is to accept it's coming and to take advantage of your motivation when it is there. When you are in a high energy or inspiration or motivation phase, really dig into it and set yourself up with some extra content that you can use during your low energy or your low motivation times. Now, if you are beyond preparation and you are currently in your burnout phase trying to get out of it, my personal favorite thing to do is to make a rule for myself that I post more content than I consume for a set period of time. Meaning, I need to post more than I scroll. A lot of times for me, burnout comes from comparison because at the end of the day, we all love what we do. We love creating content about our passions. And it's usually only when we start comparing our progress or our content to others that we start feeling burnt out, at least in my experience. So when I'm burnt out, I like to focus on living my life off of social media and giving myself the room to get re-inspired by that. So if I'm not going to be posting at all. I'm not going to be scrolling at all. I'm going to be out living my life. And if I am going to be scrolling, (laughs) I'm going to be posting as well. And so it just kind of sets you up for success and avoids the whole comparison thing where you're not kind of frozen in in inaction. Because again, for me, burnout comes from comparison. And if you think about that, when you are burnt out, and you have an idea, what is your next thought usually when you're in a burnout phase? It's like, well, that's not a good enough idea, or it's not an original enough idea, or whatever it might be. But the enough part comes from comparison. 
And so if you give yourself the room and you give your brain a little bit of space and free it from other people's content and ideas, you might just be able to pull yourself out of your burnout phase by getting re-inspired by your own ideas and by living your life. Okay, next question. If you had to start today from scratch, what would be your top five tips? Obviously, this is such a good question, and I'm going to give you a super tangible five-step breakdown. And what I did is I, whenever I tackled this question and like thought about it, I really tried to put myself in the shoes of someone who had absolutely no connection. So meaning it's not that I got banned tomorrow. It's that I literally hadn't started yet because those are two different things, right? Like I have brand connections now. I have an email list now that I could contact, et cetera. So it's different to lose it all tomorrow (laughs) versus to literally be starting from scratch, right? So I'm going to tackle it as if I was starting from scratch. That being said, the first tip that I would have is to choose a freaking niche. (laughs) I don't care if you don't want to hear that because I am just the tough love queen and I'm going to tell it to you anyway. But you don't have to panic because if you consider a niche just one topic that you have to talk about forever, I'm here to tell you that's not what a niche is. A niche does not mean a topic that you will talk about. It means a person you will talk to. So again, what problem am I solving and for who? Number two, my second tip that I would give after you choose your niche is I would do some market research. I would look up other creators in that niche. I would note down what their followers are asking them in the comment section. I would study how they're structuring their videos and their hooks and their captions, what hashtags they're using, all of those things to set myself up for success. But I would do this as I was posting, which leads me to my third tip. I would imperfectly apply whatever I learned. I want to specify imperfectly because after working with literally hundreds of creators, I've realized people really get stuck on the application part because they're trying to make it perfect and they're trying to do it right. But you will never get anywhere until you start. (laughs) And also I learned like, okay, just to give you an example, I learned way just in definitely more in my first three months of actually posting than I did in the years before that, that I was studying influencers and creators and courses and resources, etc. before I actually had the balls to actually give it a real effort. So don't be like me. At a certain point, preparation becomes procrastination. So you have got to just go for it. That is tip number three, imperfectly apply. Tip number four, I would adapt. So you can't be married to any one strategy in the social media or entrepreneurship or online world. There is a huge misconception of a lot of creators, again, especially beginner creators that I've worked with. They think that once they crack the code, it's cracked forever for them. (laughs) But that isn't true. You guys see how fast trends move on social media these days. And by trends, I don't just mean trending sounds and audios. I mean trends in the way videos are structured, the way people are tending to show up online, the pop culture references that are trending. So I would give my strategies, if I were just starting out, a solid one to three months, and then I would start analyzing the data, the results, the feedback in my comments, and adapt accordingly moving forward. And I would keep repeating that process. 
And it doesn't have to be like you mark your calendar for every three months and you can't change a thing before that. Obviously, if you notice something that you want to adapt to or try something new, do it 100%. I'm just saying make sure to check in on yourself and make sure you're not getting set in your ways. Make sure that you are adapting consistently. And number five, I would start thinking about monetization way sooner than later. I made this mistake so hard. (laughs) So I would not wait until I had a certain follower count. I would be thinking right away about how I want to monetize my social media influence or presence, etc. And this isn't to be greedy, guys. It's to make it sustainable. How are you going to continue to enjoy something? It you know, that you give and give and give to that just doesn't give back in a way that actually is sustainable. Like, yes, views are great. Comments are great. Connections are great. But in order to make this your full-time job, it needs to be a full-time job. It it takes hours and hours and hours of your life eventually. And so you need to think about, okay, how can I monetize this? It needs to be smart and it needs to be strategic. So If I were starting from scratch, I would be getting on Fiverr and beyond to get UGC clients and or other freelancing clients, depending on my passions, and or I would be doing research about a digital product that I could create for my niche, whatever my niche was. There is always a problem to solve in every freaking niche. I have seen there are people on Fiverr and people selling digital products you can look right now about how to do a certain knitting pattern or beating a certain level of a video game. I shit you not. And so don't underestimate your knowledge. You have it. So that is tip number five. I would start thinking about monetization right away. Next question. What would you do differently or the same if you were starting over? Okay. So this is very much along the same lines. So I kind of explained this throughout the five steps, but I think the main difference of how I started versus how I'd start if I did it again is one, not let fear hold me back so much because it took me so long to give it a real try because I was embarrassed of how I may come off to friends and family, et cetera. And number two, I would focus on who I'm talking to more than what I'm talking about right from the start. So from the start, I bounced from niche to niche And I wasn't really being strategic about it or understanding the importance of it. And I think that's why I couldn't understand how to meld it with my life in a way that made sense and that was powerful enough for me to attract my people online. So those are the things that I would do differently. One thing I think I did right and that I would do the same again is being both on TikTok and on Instagram, because it's been really beneficial for me to have a platform for reach like TikTok, and then a platform for nurturing, like nurturing my warmest leads, essentially like Instagram. Because if you think about it, if I have a viral video or even just a video, you know, on TikTok and someone makes the effort to not only go to my page, but also to then go over to my Instagram too, and also follow me there. That's a warm lead. That's a loyal follower. That's someone who really wants to be in my world, right? And so it's it's very beneficial to have both of those things. And it's not to say TikTok and Instagram have to be the two. You could choose like, you know, YouTube for your reach platform and Instagram for your nurture platform or email for your nurture. You know, whatever your combo is, that's fine. But that's just something that I am happy I did. Now, 
it is not to say that if you don't have the bandwidth for two platforms that you should, you know, try to struggle and do it anyway. Like that's not what I'm saying. If I only had the bandwidth for one, I would give my all to one, right? But if you do have the bandwidth to do some repurposing, I do find that it's beneficial to have, again, a reach platform and a nurturing platform. Okay, next question. Can you explain your process for creating UGC, i.e. tips for filming, editing, etc.? Okay, yes. So I can quickly explain this. Obviously, a lot goes into it as far as the details of editing. And I have like a full breakdown and full tutorials of this in my UGC A to Z course. But here's a summary of my process. So first, and this is not so much filming and editing, but it helps with the filming and editing. First, I ask my brand partners if there's any specific brief or concept that they would like me to follow. Because it's just going to save you so much time and potential edits that the brand may ask for. So I always like to ask for that first. And then second, I go into Notion once I have that information, but you can use like any document thing. You can use the Notes app, you can use Google Docs, whatever. And in Notion is where I have a dashboard for all of my UGC projects. And that's where I script. So When scripting, I consider social media marketing since this is a literal ad. So I'm thinking about traditional social media marketing methods, what's trending in social media marketing right now, etc. And I want it to get the brand conversions, right? So that's why I'm thinking about those things. And then I recently started doing this and it saved me so much time and headache But I also note ideas for how each section of the video will look whenever I film it. So what shots do I need to get? Will any sections be green screen, etc. So that's how I script. Again, I think about social media marketing, some of the basics of content creation too, like hooks and calls to action, of course. And again, I get a lot more detailed about this in my UGC A to Z course, but there are just so many different examples and concepts to learn that this episode would be forever if I went into that. Okay. So of course, after I script, I film. So for filming, I literally just use my iPhone and a clip on light. And if the video is me doing just like things around my house or whatever, and then I plan to put a voiceover over it instead of talking to the camera, then I use my back camera. If it is an educational talking head video, I do just use my front camera and usually some sort of mic too. And then I use, like I said, a clip on light or and or natural lighting from a window. And I am like, you know, full transparency. I really want to try to switch to the front camera or the back camera, sorry, the back camera for even for filming talking head videos, I just haven't found like a great way to be able to set it up well without wanting to rip my hair out. So if you guys have tips about that, definitely DM me. Anyway, (laughs) after I film, that is when I edit. So I love to edit in CapCut lately. But before that, I was using the Splice app. So both of those options are great. But I've just found that for whatever reason, CapCut saves videos just so crystal clear, like at such a high quality, um, higher than other apps that I found. And I've been using video editing apps for years. I mean, like MySpace days. Okay. And so I have switched over to CapCut and am a fan. So I'm also adding updated tutorials in my UGZ A to Z course for CapCut because I have Splice in them right now. 
but yeah, it's so good. I always add a hook in text on screen. Even if I already said it out loud, you don't have to put the exact same thing that you do say out loud, but you always want to have a hook on screen and text front and center and not just rely on the closed captions like at the bottom because people's eye is just going to go right there to that center of the screen and read that hook so fast. And they're more likely to do that and automatically process that than to like wait for the closed captions to generate the rest of the sentence, if that makes sense. So definitely, definitely add that text, that hook and text on screen. I can't stress enough how much that is missed for some reason. So you definitely need to do that. And yeah, filming, scripting, filming, editing, that is my entire process for UGC. It does not have to be fancy. You don't need a $2,000 DSLR camera. 99% of the time, these brands are specifically looking for this content to blend in with a typical for you page or feed, right? So it doesn't need to be this super high production thing. You just do want to, you know, obviously be professional, get the good lighting and all of those things. Okay. Next question. What are some best practices for staying organized? Okay. So I have to give you another disclaimer here before I answer this question. I'm not particularly known for my organization. Okay. I am just going to admit that. That being said, after years of trying to manage all of this as a neurodivergent person, I do finally have some solid systems in place that help me keep organized, but they're really nothing fancy. Again, you don't need fancy things to succeed. Can you have fancy, you know, notion dashboards for every single thing? Yes. Do I? No. So one planning tool that I use and I use it absolutely every single day, which this says a lot. I want to stop here before I give you the details. This says a lot that I use it every day because I could not find a planner that I could ever freaking stick to like for years and years and years and years. Okay. I'm almost 30 and I'm just now finding this recently. (laughs) And so, yeah, I love it. And it is very easy to use. So it's called Sunsama, S-U-N-S-A-M-A. It is super simple and it's also visual. So it's a visual way to time block your day, but in a flexible way, which is really important for me because I do tend to do things like based on my energy throughout the day instead of sticking to a super rigid schedule. So I love Sunsama. Like if you finish something early, for example, that you had time blocked for a certain amount of time, and then you you know click finish on that task, it will rearrange the rest of your schedule accordingly for you. Like you don't have to keep it that way, but it'll like automatically do it for you. It's just really, it's great. Okay. Something else I highly underestimated at first for organization is Google Drive. And I know that sounds literally so basic, but hear me out. I love Google Drive for everything. I have a Google Drive dashboard for all of my course materials and you know my UGC vault for my students, all of these things. I have one for my podcast manager. I have one to share assets with my assistant. I have one for each UGC partner I have. And it's particularly amazing to share and organize large files, which video files usually are. And for me, the goal is that it pops up on your phone and your computer like simultaneously. You don't have to airdrop it from one device to the other. If you upload a video from your phone into the app, it will automatically be there in the desktop version too. It's just easy to transfer files. And then within it, 
you can make a bunch of folders to organize all of those files too. So those are really the main things I use. Like I said in previous questions, I do use Notion for scripting. So I have just like really basic sections in Notion for scripting out my content ideas, like for my actual personal page. And then for my UGC projects, I've made myself a little dashboard for scripting and I give that in my UGC course as well. And then I, for my podcast, also have a section for scripting in there for Notion. So yeah, those are the main things. Sinsama, Google Drive, and Notion for organization. Okay, (laughs) next question. What are some common mistakes that new creators make when creating UGC? Okay, that is such a good question. There are a couple here. So one thing that especially very new creators get wrong is confusing UGC or user-generated content with professional videography or photography. So if you find yourself using those photography backdrops and those little arched photography props, you know what I'm talking about, for products, you're probably going too far on the product photography side and you're missing the mark on the UGC side. UGC is supposed to be very human, not professionally produced by the brand. UGC is literally about making it not look like a professional team made it. So like just to put this in perspective, if you find yourself creating for a makeup brand and you're propping it up on backboards and there's literally no human skin in it and you're taking this fancy photo, you're doing it wrong. Okay. You need to tell an actual story with UGC. It's meant to look organic. The second mistake that I see a lot of UGC creators making is focusing too much on the aesthetic side of it. Even if they're not leaning too hard in the product photography way, and it still does look like UGC, they're still only thinking, okay, to make quality content, I just need it to look high quality and have good lighting and be crisp and, you know, maybe even have a hook, but that's not even close to enough. Okay. You need to also think about the marketing side of it and getting the brand's results. (laughs) And I'm going to talk more about this in later questions, but at the end of the day, you need to actually get the brand results clicks, sales conversions, whatever their KPI or key performance indicator is, whatever they are looking for out of this campaign, you need to tailor your UGC video to get that result. And that means so many things beyond just having a hook and a crisp video. Okay. All right. Next question. Do you think UGC creators and influencers find success more easily based on their appearance? I love this question. I feel like this is so spicy and I actually have a lot of thoughts about this and have some podcast episodes planned about similar topics actually. But here's my two cents on this. Again, the question is, do you think UGC creators and influencers find success more easily based on their appearance? I personally think that privilege, all kinds of privilege, including pretty privilege and white privilege and monetary privilege and male privilege, etc., All types of privilege have their hand in absolutely every industry, at least in the US, in my opinion, including content creation. That is just my opinion. I mean, I do think that it's one of those unfortunate things that's embedded in our society right now, or, you know, has been forever. So I'm going to say with a huge disclaimer 
that this is not to say that not having one or more of these privileges means that you're destined to fail. It definitely doesn't mean that. It's just that I want to be super realistic, I guess, and just share that, yeah, I think privilege has its hand in every industry. That being said, we've all still seen plenty, plenty, plenty of successful content creators from all different walks of life, right? So I think it's just so important to acknowledge privilege exists in our world, of course, but for our own mindset sake, and at least this is what I did for my mindset sake, because of course I had those thoughts of, but they're prettier than me, their life is more glamorous than mine, but they had connections, et cetera, et cetera. What I did is that I instead had to switch my mindset to competing with myself instead. Because that's all we can do. You know, does luck play a factor sometimes? Sure. Does privilege exist? Definitely. Does it mean anything as far as guarantees for any one individual? No, not necessarily. Again, I'm going to go back to, (laughs) you guys are going to hate me, but I'm going to go back to the thing that I say every time successful people keep going. So for me, It's about continuing to compete with yourself, keep going, keep looking at your content, keep seeing how you can improve based on your last post. That's all you can do. That's all we can do. That's what we do. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, that's my take on that. But I'm excited to talk more about privilege in general on the podcast. So yeah, let me know if you have any guest ideas for that because I've actually been looking for someone who's qualified to talk on that topic. Okay, next question. What is the best way to reach out to brands for collaboration? Okay, so I am going to tell you how to reach out. But before I do, I want to say I prefer to attract brands to me the majority of the time. And that's how I also teach my students for lots of reasons. However, I do think that outreach is an important skill to learn and to have. And I also teach that to my students. So that being said, the best way to contact a brand firstly, is to directly contact them through their email, but not just their contact or support email for the company, their actual social media team, okay? Not just their support email. As far as what to say in your pitch, I actually interviewed one of my longest running brand partners for my UGC A to Z course students, and she shared exactly what type of pitches that they ghost as a brand versus the ones that they respond to and the creators they hire. So the biggest tip that we actually both came up with is to go the extra mile to personalize your pitches. This does not mean just changing out the brand name and then mass sending pitches. It doesn't even mean like just finding the brand's mission statement and adding that in there, though that can help for sure. (laughs) What we mean by personalizing it is researching the brand, figuring out what they do well, what they lack in their current content strategy, giving them specific ideas for how you're going to solve that problem for them with your content, letting them know why you're the right fit for their brand specifically and why you didn't reach out to their competitor. This is personalization, all of those things. Okay. And I understand that that's a lot more time consuming than getting it you know, a basic pitch template and changing out the brand name and sending 100 of them out. But for me, it is time much more well spent. Because it is again, it from the mouth of my brand partner, Sonia, these are the pitches that get responded to instead of ghosted. 
She says that they can see a pitch template from a mile away. And it's the ones that actually get their attention that they're going to respond to. So that's my recommendation for reaching out to brands for collaborations. Okay, next question. How do you find brands to work with? Okay, so if you're starting out in UGC with maybe like a smaller following or no brand connection or maybe no following yet, etc. If I was starting from scratch, I actually would highly, highly, highly suggest starting out on Fiverr. And I have a guest training on getting UGC gigs using Fiverr. And I already have students literally landing four-figure deals from Fiverr in UGC A to Z who had no experience before it. So I do suggest Fiverr, even though that's not something that I started out on because it just wasn't as... I mean, I don't know if I just didn't know about it, but it just wasn't like as commonly used back then, especially for UGC. But Fiverr actually just added UGC gig categories specifically So they are definitely having a huge market for it right now. Now, the other thing that I 1000% suggest is optimizing your social media accounts to attract brands to you instead of having to constantly find them yourself, which I also go into in UGC A to Z. Because think of this, you are a freelancer, okay? As a UGC creator, you're a freelancer. And just like every other freelancer, you can use social media marketing to find your ideal client, just like you see so many other businesses doing. And you are, you, you know, want to think of yourself as a business if you are going to get started in UGC. So that is how I would find brands to work with if I was just starting out. Okay. Next question. What steps do you take to ensure that your content is accessible to a diverse audience? I love this question. I don't think like this is such a unique one. I haven't gotten it a lot. And my biggest thing that I try to do and my biggest tip for you is if this is something you're thinking about as far as content wise is to test a very intentional variety of content. So what I mean by this is some people learn and digest information in different ways. Some people have access to different knowledge and tools. Some people need to see and hear things differently based on certain disabilities, etc. And so what you want to do is create your concept in multiple different ways. Or again, this is what I do. So if I do have a concept that seemed to resonate with people, I'm going to make sure that that piece of content is digestible and accessible to a variety of people. I also on another level, as far as accessibility, try to make sure for my offers, so my digital products and things like that, that I have payment plans and that I have accessible prices as much as they can be. So that is something else that I think about. And then, yeah, I think another thing that I do and you can do and should do is trying your best to show up very authentically and connect with everybody in your comment section showing up for everybody as equally as you can with the same amount of love and energy and empathy. And yeah, that's my answer. Thank you so much for that question. Okay. Next question. Describe your process for creating content from ideation to final product. So I actually am usually an intuitive creator. So that means that I really don't typically batch create content. Um, My ideas usually come up organically in my life, just from living my life and conversations that I'm having, 
with clients and students and followers or a memory that I have about, you know, something that I used to struggle with when I was starting out or topics that pop up in the media or that are trending. So all of these things inspire my ideas usually as far as ideation. And if I do sit down and try to like think of multiple ideas in one sitting, that is when I draw a lot from either past content that has performed well or from what you guys are currently asking me, like in in the comments and DMs and things like that, if I have been noticing a trend. And if you aren't asking questions, then I draw inspo, like I said, from my own story and my own struggles and things that I could assume my target audience may be going through as well. So that's ideation. Creation is the same as for my answer to the UGC question. I film with my iPhone and my little clip-on light and I edit either either in TikTok and then like take the watermark off and repurpose to Instagram or I edit in CapCut. And then I usually brainstorm the caption just before posting, honestly. That's not something I've always done. I used to pre-plan them a little more, but I've just found that they come out a little more raw and authentic and more of a way that I like them whenever I come up with them organically on the spot there. But again, I I totally know that that's not for everybody or realistic for everybody. And if you do have to plan ahead, then what I would suggest for captions and something I think about when I'm writing them out is just to have an additional hook as that first line of your caption. Okay, so I try to do that so that they actually are enticed to expand and read the rest of the caption. And then I kind of microblog after that. So I'll either break down certain points or I'll tell a short story. And then I'm sure to add a call to action at the end. So that's how I structure my captions. And that's it from ideation to posting. Oh, something else I'll mention. Okay. So for reels, I don't make myself crazy (laughs) about editing in reels. Like, you know how some people say, oh, you should edit in reels instead of repurposing from TikTok. Otherwise, you know, you're content's going to flop. I don't believe that. I've seen plenty of content that's repurposed from TikTok do well on Reels, including my own. And so for me, because editing and Reels is like the bane of my existence, I often will just save myself the headache, remove the watermark and post straight to Reels. Now, when I do edit in Reels, you know, if by the time we're listening to this, we're still having that Instagram Reels glitch where the text disappears after you post it, What I do to avoid that is I will edit it in Reels if I want the font, the Reels font. And then I press the little down arrow at the top to save the finished version to my camera roll. And then I re-upload that to Reels so that it's not going to just, the text is not going to disappear on me. Okay. So that's my process. Okay. You know what? I'm looking at this list of questions here and we've got quite a bit more to go. So I think I'm actually going to wrap up with one final question and then I will make a part two of the Q and a. So final question, when you were starting out, did it ever feel like the life you have now was never going to be possible for yourself? Like you were dreaming too big. If so, how did you combat this? I love this question And the answer is 1,000 billion trillion percent yes. Infinite zero is behind that number. (laughs) It sounds so like dramatic, but I have dreamed of becoming a content creator in one way or another since I was a teenager. 
and I'm almost 30 now. <laughs> and I didn't start, you know, succeeding on social media till about like 25 or 26. And so, you know, by my mid 20s, you know, yes, I felt pretty hopeless that it would actually work out. It literally felt just as realistic as me, like becoming a celebrity, especially at the times when I wanted to be a travel influencer. And it was only the girls with the perfect bodies and the bleep blonde hair living in the Bahamas who were actually influencers on Instagram, right? And so I would, again, as dramatic as it seems, I was bitter, I was envious, I felt hopeless at some points, and I would literally cry over the fact that even though I felt like I was made for this, I felt so uncertain that it would happen. I was just a hundred percent sure that it would not actually work out and that it was a total pipe dream. And I think that that's reality at some points in this journey, but what kept me going and how I combated it is to think about the alternative. Okay. So just as an example, I would gladly fail at this, at trying to become a content creator because it just felt like my dream and what I needed to do. I would fail at it again and again and again in pursuit of it versus just sitting miserable at my nine to six till I'm 65 years old, wondering what if, knowing I didn't even try and that my one chance was behind me. And so, you know, not that you can't start at 65 because you totally can, but you know, that I wasted all those years. So somehow fear combated fear for me in that scenario. I was way more afraid at succeeding at nine to six life than I was afraid of failing as a content creator, I guess. So that's what kept me going in. You know, you hear people talking about this on TikTok and social media all the time, but I, a huge part of it really is just being delusional. At some point I was like, you know what? I'm not cool with the alternative. So fuck it. I'm going to be delusional. I'm going to make this crap happen. And yeah. And I did it. And I certainly had phases when, you know, I did quit or I let myself get down, but I always came back to it because successful people keep going. (laughs) So yeah, thank you so much for joining my very first Q&A episode. I am super excited to turn this into a part two for you guys. And if you do have burning questions that you want included in a future episode, Just DM me and let me know that you want your question featured on the podcast. All right. Catch you next week. If you liked this episode, it would make my day to hear about it. Please don't hesitate to share your thoughts on Instagram and tag me at Gina Galliotto or shoot me a DM letting me know so I can continue sharing episodes you love. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the Social Spectrum podcast and leave a five-star review so we can stay in each other's worlds. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Until next time, friend.